Turn with me in your Bibles to Job. We're going to start in chapter 42, which is the last chapter of Job. Job 42, verses 5 and 6. So here's how the whole the book's concluding. We talked a lot about Job last week. We're going to pick up right there and keep going. But Job 42, verses 5 and 6. And, and God begins to reveal through the process of this uh, trial, prolonged trial and severe trial in Job's life, he begins to reveal himself to the man, begins to reveal the Lord to Job in a much deeper way, and begins to reveal Job to Job, his own heart more. Uh, And he says this, I have heard of thee, Job 42.5, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eyes seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. You know, there's nothing specific that we know of that Job had to repent of. There's no specific sin that's named. We know he was a sinner. Maybe the Lord wanted him to see that. Maybe God wanted to give him a greater revelation of his own sinful nature that God, uh, that he had that needed to be forgiven, needed to be justified and redeemed by the grace of God. But through it all, God was able to accomplish his purpose. And we talked about it last week and we're going to pick up there and keep going. We closed last week talking about Job and the fact that when he came through the trial, the smell of smoke was not upon him. And we kind of described what that meant. And I think that's very important. I think it's very important to me. It's important to you. It's important to the body of Christ that when we go through trials, not if, when we go through trials, some more severe than others, some longer than others, some you look around, you say, well, why am I going through this? And they're not. None of that matters. He's the potter, we're the clay. We go through what he wants us to go through. It's just like Peter. After the resurrection, Jesus was telling the, uh, Peter, if you love me, Peter, feed my sheep, right? And he tells him the kind of death he's going to die for the Lord. And Peter was martyred by the Lord. Uh, history has it that he requested to be crucified upside down, not feeling worthy to be crucified like his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that Peter was crucified for his faith upside down. But you remember that Peter asked at that moment, the end of John, the Gospel of John, he says, after the Lord told him what kind of death he would die to glorify the Lord with, he says, Lord, uh, what about this man? And he asked, and I think he was pointing to John, and the Lord says, what is that to you? What is that to you if, if, I, if I will that he lives with me and stays with me till I come again? What is that to you? And he gets back to Peter, you follow me. And that's what we're talking about. Denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following the Lord. Everybody has not been what Job's been through, went through, not even close. Okay, but other people have had severe testings and trials. People have been martyred for the Lord in prison for the Lord as we speak and in our day for, for the Lord Jesus Christ. People go through different things, but God's will is not to be cruel. God's purpose is to receive the glory back from that life. And here in repentance and in a greater faith in the Lord, that is what he's receiving. He blessed the man after his trials, 
more than he had before, with more than he had before. But but Job came to see himself and the Lord. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Now, not before. Okay. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Foolish things that he may have said. Ignorant things that he may have said during the during the time of the trial. He didn't sin with his mouth, but he said things that that uh, that probably didn't need to be said, and things out of ignorance and foolishness and so forth. But he came to see himself, and so therefore he didn't come through smelling like smoke. Remember, we talked about the three Hebrew boys. They were sent to the fire at the hands of the king. In, in Babylon, and yet when they came out, they didn't smell like smoke. They didn't have, the Bible tells us that specifically, they did not have the smell of smoke upon them. And, and just, I know I'm reviewing, but I think it's worth noting. Well, how would this relate to us? We go through trials and sometimes, not accusing anybody, I'm saying sometimes within the body of Christ, we can go through the trial Still in it. Maybe we came out of it. Maybe we're still in it. And the smell of smoke is all over us. And it's not, it's not a pleasant thing. It's not edifying to God. It's not edifying to the body. It's not glorifying to the Lord. To go through a trial and everything is about me. Everything is about me and everything's about the trial rather than it's all about God's glory. Rather than it's about the faithfulness of God, that Job is the one who said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I will maintain my integrity about him. There's no smoke on that. It's just a testimony of his faith in God. And he brings God into the picture and he's not saying poor Job and poor me, although it's wonderful to have comforters that God sends to us that the attention and the focus cannot simply be on me and poor me. You know, poor little me, myself, and I, and what I'm going through. Everybody's going through something. If they're not now, they just came out of something, or they're just getting ready to go into something. Okay? Everybody. Because this world, and and this life that we live on this earth, is characterized by afflictions and tribulations and uh, fiery furnaces that we go through. And... Just keep that in mind. I'm preaching it to myself as much as anybody that it cannot all be just about me. Even the trial that I'm going through has to go back to I'm going through this, but I'm trusting God. Let's go pray for so and so. You know what I mean? It can't always be uh, 10 ladies coming around me and praying. Let me get up and go pray for somebody. Let me get up and go serve the Lord. And maybe in doing that, God will lift some of my burden from me. Not maybe, I guarantee he'll do it. We need to hear this, amen? And, and that's what we're talking about when we talk about the smell of smoke. The smell of smoke was not upon Job because the smell of self was not upon Job. Am I saying he was perfected at this point? No. But there was something wonderful that happened in his life. He got it. The Lord was able to do what he wanted to do in his life through the trial and it did redound to the glory of God what he went through. And so he says, I repent. Uh, and honestly, uh, how could you put, a, a, I guess, a jab or defeat Satan's intent or will 
our plans better than that. Fully resigning to the Lord. Fully putting yourself, I repent. I'm in God's hands. He's going to do with me what He wants. Uh, to resign completely to the hand of the Lord, Satan can't touch a person like that. We're going we're gonna to use that little thought and phrase a few times here tonight. But remember, it was Satan that said, I want to I want to get after Job. I want to bring these heartaches and hardships and steal, kill and destroy from Job. And the Lord set limits and bounds, but they were pretty extensive. I mean, he was able to get his hands on Job pretty well. And his he was convinced the devil was convinced. He told the Lord this, that if if I do such and such to him, he'll curse you to your face. But he did not. He did not. He did everything that he wanted to do short of taking his life and actually killing him. God would not allow that. And God is God, not the devil. Amen. But he, he did not get the fruit. The devil didn't get the fruit from that loss and tra tragedy and trial. It returned back to the glory of God. And so we want that in our life. Satan came again and again. He came more than one time. But in Job, he couldn't find a foothold. He couldn't find a foothold in his heart, in his mind, in his life. And that needs to be our testimony. We need to pray that it would be our testimony. We need to be strong in the Lord. We need to trust God no matter what. We need to have the testimony of Job in the sense that though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I'm going to trust in this God, even if this God that I'm trusting kills me. Because I know him, I know his character, I know his heart, and so forth. And so uh, Job did not lose that testimony. He didn't rebel against God. He didn't curse God to his face. Hudson Taylor says this, great uh, missionary to inland China, says this about Job. We conclude, therefore, that Job was not mistaken and that, that we shall not be mistaken if we follow his example in this, okay, in accepting all God's providential dealings with us as being from Himself. And they will issue in ultimate blessings because God is God, and therefore all things work together for good to them that love God. Job didn't miss it. A lot of modern day prosperity preachers would say that Job missed it. Honestly, they would say that. It's, it's arrogant and it's foolish. To look at a man like that, and I think I'm not nearly as strong in the faith as he is. And people will criticize and say he should have, uh, you know, the name it and claim it and so forth. And his blessings were being robbed from him and he should have been out there uh, naming and claiming all kinds of prosperity things and stood against it and everything. But God allowed it and he submitted to it. Submit yourselves, therefore, to who? God. Resist the devil. Okay, we are told to do that. We talked about it last week. We need to discern and understand who it is that's dealing with us and what's going on in our lives. But Jesus said this, Hereafter I will not talk much with you. He was getting ready to go to the cross. And he says, For the prince of this world cometh. The prince of this world is Satan. The prince of this world cometh and hath what? You know the scripture? Nothing in me. The prince of this, so Satan comes 
And he's got nothing in me. Satan did not have one little inch of ground in the life of Jesus Christ. There was not any place where he says, I think about this all the time, where he might have a, uh, in somebody else, okay, where Satan says, you know, he's serving God, he's doing well, but I can always get him with this. Can always bring Randy down with, you know, you fill in the blank, pride. Can always bring him down with whatever, fear, laziness, worry, lust, whatever it may be. I can always get my hook in him. Jesus had no place, and in him was light, and there was no darkness at all, the scriptures say, right? And I'm not comparing Job to the Lord in the sense of being perfect, but in this that we read in the Bible, in that account of Job's life and that the trials, Satan did not get a foothold because he saw the Lord, he saw himself, and in the right reaction was like Isaiah when he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, right? Uh, and he says, I'm undone, I'm an unclean person, I live in the midst of people of unclean lips. Uh, he repented, and that is the right response, and God can take that life and make it what he wants him to be. So ultimately, if we receive the trials and adversities from the Lord, we're going to be blessed by the Lord because He is going to do something eternal in, in that trial. And so uh, think about Paul. Paul was in prison. I, I, I wish I knew right offhand uh, how many times he was in prison. I know he was in the, towards the end of his life, he was shuffled from prison to prison and finally ends up in Rome where he, uh, where he was ultimately beheaded. But he never says, he could have argued with the devil and, and said, the devil put me in prison. He could have argued that Nero, who was the, the emperor of Rome at the time, the Caesar, and it was in his prison where he ultimately was and said, we know that, that Nero was of the devil, okay, and all this persecution towards the Christians, but he never goes there so much. He doesn't give him any credit. He doesn't give the devil credit, and he doesn't give Nero any credit. You know what he says? And you don't have to turn there, but Ephesians 3.1, he says, I, he says, I, Paul, the prisoner of who? of who? Jesus Christ. I'm the prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm not a prisoner of Nero. Nero is just the jailkeeper. Nero is just the, the tool that God's using. I'm not a prisoner of the devil. He's been set free. He's born again. He's, living, he's in the will of God in that prison. So he, he saw it rightly. I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Okay? A prisoner of Jesus Christ. That's what he called himself. And it was also under his, uh, the, the reign of Nero where Paul says there's no authority except what's from God. All authority is from the Lord. Samuel Rutherford was a, you probably heard his name before, if you don't know much about him. Uh, he was a Scottish minister in the 1600s who was imprisoned and persecuted greatly for his faith and his walk with the Lord. And he was happy about it. This is what made one of the things that was so wonderful about his testimony. He suffered for the Lord. And he said this once, I soon go to my king's palace at Aberdeen. At Aberdeen, he was imprisoned. That's where he was put into prison. 
And from that prison, he wrote to a friend. He says, the Lord is with me. I care not what man can do. No person is provided for better than I am. My chains are even gilded with gold. No pen, no words, nothing can, can express the beauty of Christ. So he's in prison, but he's not using that to smell like smoke, which I might well do. I don't want to do. You might well do. We don't want to do that. We don't have to do that. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. The same faith and the same God it is as Samuel Rutherford or Job or Paul in prison in Rome. It's the same God, the same God we can trust in to strengthen us. God turned the prison cell into in his heart, Samuel Rutherford's heart and mind and estimation. This is really God's taking care of me here. This is a place where God's taking care of me. And he saw the Lord like Job did. No words, no pen, nothing can express the beauty of Christ. He had to have seen the Lord in some deeper way in prison for the cause of Christ than he had ever known before he was in prison in Aberdeen. And he was happy about it. It's a good trade, so to speak. It's, it's, it looks crazy to the world. And yet, I say it all the time, if you said, Paul, would you trade your hardships and persecution and so forth for anything? He would say, are you kidding me? I wouldn't trade that for anything. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable to his death. Well, that's a reality. That's a real thing. Suffering is real that the Lord allows us to go through. What can the devil do to a man like that or a woman like that or a person like that? He has no grounds. He only has ground if we give it to him. He only has ground if there's stinking self there that he can stroke it and make us feel sorry for ourselves. Self-pity for ourselves. And Chris doesn't have it nearly as bad as me. Look, look what God did. His trial only lasted a day. Mine's lasted two and a half years. You know, and all that kind of stuff. And I'll have served God so much. And all those things may be true, but I'm not thinking rightly. I'm not thinking correctly. And there's a smell of smoke. That there is joy. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials for your faith. It says in James. When you're persecuted for His name's sake, rejoice. Be exceeding joyful. We opened with it this past uh, Sunday morning. Leave for joy in the Sermon on the Mount. Because the same, same persecution that they brought to your fathers, the prophets, that your fathers brought upon the prophets. And so in order uh, to thwart the devil's plans, and he wants, he's after your faith and my faith, it has to be that way. It has to be a rejoicing in the Lord. Because that's what he tells us to do. Because we're in his hands. I'm not in Nero's hands or the prisoner's hands. I'm certainly not in the devil's hands. I'm in God's hands. I'm in prison in the will of God. I'm in chains in prison in the will of God. Paul and Silas sang to the Lord. They were changed up, chained up, their feet in shackles. And in, in the dungeon part of the prison, in the innermost prison at midnight, it doesn't get any darker or later than that. And they're praising God. They're not just begging for release or some good food to eat while they're in there. They're praising God 
and God brought the miracle and set them free. And what it turned to the glory of God. They were set free. The Philippian jailer got saved. His whole family got saved. Uh, the devil can't do anything to that. So, so it's a complete submission to the Lord. We don't submit to the devil. We submit to God and resist the devil. But complete, utter submission to the Lord as being Lord of all. In every that includes every circumstance. That includes every circumstance. Okay, that's the surest way to overcome the enemy. That's God's way to overcome the enemy, and we see it repeated all through the Bible. In order to be more than a conqueror, then we have to be utterly surrendered to the Lord in His will. It's not what we would cho choose for ourselves. We wouldn't choose a jail and shackles. We wouldn't choose certainly what Job went through, okay? We wouldn't choose a thorn in the flesh like Paul had, maybe his eyesight, maybe he was blind. I don't know that. But we wouldn't choose those things, but God chose them for us. And we have to utterly surrender to the Lord in those things. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles. I'm going to read one scripture here, kind of unusual. Exodus 21. Exodus 21, and just what we're going to read, I want to give a real quick explanation of what we're reading here. There's God's given different laws, and it's interesting, this comes right on the heels of the Ten Commandments. So uh, this, is, this is a civil law concerning uh, men's servants or bond or slaves, Hebrew slaves, and the Lord's giving some rules or some laws to follow in the right treatment of slaves. He says in a certain year, you know, you, you're to turn the slaves loose after they've served so many years. But verse five, if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free. There was something to where the, the servant was a servant, but he loved his master he loved his wife that was in the same house, his children that were born maybe in the same uh, time of service there. He says, I love my master. I'm not going to go free. That's an utter uh, submission. And that's kind of the, the picture here of being fully surrendered to the Lord, letting him have his way. I love my master. That would be the Lord for us. I don't want to just go out free. Real consecration has to, to be able to abide testing. Real separation to the Lord. It's easy to say, I love Jesus. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's my God. Uh, I used to see t-shirts that I didn't, <laughs> didn't particularly like. Jesus is my homie. You know, all this kind of stuff that where we can, we can talk a good game, but real Consecration to the Lord has to be able to abide the testings. The real commitment to the Lord has to go through testings and has to survive the testings. And so uh, I'm going to give you a quote from Samuel Rutherford. We talked about him just a moment ago and his, his suffering for the Lord in prison. He says, it's a quote, If the Lord calls you to suffering, do not be dismayed. 
for he will give you a greater portion of Christ in your suffering. That is a truth. You have to go there to know it, though. You have, you can't, I just can't read about Samuel Rutherford or Paul or, or Job. I need to know it in my own experience, even if my suffering is not the same suffering that they have. If we're suffering in the will of God, somebody might be young and healthy and they lose their health and they have some terminal life chronic illness or condition and they're a Christian and, and God doesn't heal them and they stay that way for years. There has to be something in the will of God that He's trying to produce in them, for them, through them, and ultimately for His glory. For the blessing of the individual and for the glory of God. Reading someone else's story can help. It can get me thinking rightly and know how to pray and so forth. But the Lord chooses for each of us to go through what we go through. And we need to learn it ourselves. One, one uh, person said, he who does not welcome the cross does not welcome God. So we're talking about the cross and the cross is working not only to, to bring, make us dead to sin, dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God, like the Bible says, but it is working in us to bring us death to self and all of its forms that we've talked so much about over the last several months. And really what is sin but the exaltation of self where we, we choose what we want as opposed to what God has said. That's really a good picture of sin. It's not the definition of sin, but God says such and such. And we say, no, I don't think that's best or most enjoyable or what I want or what will satisfy me or what will fulfill me or further my goals or whatever. I'm going to do what I want. Well, that's sin, right? All we like sheep have gone astray, turned every man what to his own way. We've turned to our own way. That's sin. And so the Lord had to lay the iniquity of all of us, Isaiah 53, upon the Lord. That's iniquity. And y'all, self is going to reign in our lives until one mightier occupies the throne. It's going to reign. Like I said, we can polish it up. We can cover it up. We can learn to... Uh, to make it appear a certain way, but self will absolutely reign in a heart and life until one mightier than self sits on that throne and takes the place, the rightful place, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, to reign in our hearts as opposed to me reigning in my heart. He has to occupy the throne that I've usurped. Usurped means I took a place that wasn't really mine. I took authority in my heart and life and usurp the Lordship of God. Every time I sin, I do that. might think it's just a little thing, but every time I sin, I usurp the authority of the Lord as King in my life. Because I'm doing that moment what I want to do, and I'm my own little God. I'm not saying we, we lost our salvation or anything like that. I'm saying in those moments that we do, could be for a short period of time, I pray it is, or a prolonged period of time, we are usurping that place that's rightfully His. One man said this, I was quite willing that Jesus should be King so long as He allowed me to be Prime Minister. But that's not how it works. That's not how it works. Self-will, its very nature, is self-destructive. 
Self-will at its very nature is going to combat and try to compete with the Lord and fail to yield to the Lord and so forth. It's not subject to God, neither indeed can it be. Our flesh is not. So it says in Romans, it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So what's the answer for self and flesh? The cross. The cross. That means the good parts of yourself or the things that you and I think are, about are, good, are good about ourselves, all of it that is self and not Christ has to go to the cross and die. Because at some point, if not now, at some point in our lives, I say it all the time, self will rear its ugly head and try to usurp and try to, to take control of that life. Maybe co-pilot. We're not even a co-pilot. You know, God is my co-pilot. You ever see that as an old-timey bumper sticker? He really needs to be not co-pilot. He needs to be King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the Good Shepherd. He needs to be everything. The pilot, the ruler, supreme, and I am under His authority. He's the potter, I'm the clay, like we sing about. And so, uh, he, he who's not going to be ruled by the Lord's will is going to be governed by himself. He that's not going to be ruled by God's will is going to be governed by himself. And he whoever that does not choose to, to take the yoke of the Lord, like he says, take my yoke. Which yoke? My yoke. Take my yoke. We're yoked together with the Lord. I remember teaching at Parkview Bible study one time and I printed out a picture. I looked online at all these different pictures of yokes, usually for big animals like oxen or, or things like that, bulls. And, 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 uh, and they're used to, to clamp basically or to attach two animals together that they would work as one. You've seen the pictures, you know what they look like. You can't, you know, bull number one can't say I'm going left and bull number two says, I'm, no, I'm, I'm tired. I'm going to go sit down over here under this tree over here. Cannot do it, even if they wanted to do it. And Jesus says, take my yoke and learn of me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So think about that. So I say, well, I don't really want to be yoked with the Lord and go everywhere he goes. Say everything he wants me to say. Uh, talk to everyone he wants me to talk to and so forth. I want to sometimes do my own thing. So I've slipped my neck out of the yoke. And then what am I do? I left a light. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And I leave that. And guess what I'm going to bear? I'm going to bear heaviness and heartache. And it's a load we can't bear. But we think it's going to be so liberating and free and wonderful. I'll get to do some of the things I've always wanted to do. But it's not. It's a lie. It's a lie of the devil. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. What is the other load that you bear on your own? The weight of sin, self, everything, the cares of life, all, of, all that comes with it. And so if we dethrone the Lord and enthrone ourselves, then God has to, he's got to get us back to that right place. And he had to do that when the first Adam, okay, Adam in the garden, he chose his own way. He was told clearly what to do and what would happen if he did it. He saw his wife eat it. He ate it. What was that? You know, it was sin. We know it was sin. But it was also the exaltation of self where it hadn't been like that before. 
And did it turn out really great for Adam? At least he got to discover himself and all these new things. No, it was sin. He was banished from the garden. His close communion with the Lord was severed and broken. And all death was passed upon all men. So God had to bring a new Adam, a second Adam. That's what one of the names Jesus is called in 1 Corinthians. The second Adam. Second uh, man. The second uh, originator of a new race. The father of a new race. As in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. He had to start over. Self had exalted itself in Adam. I don't point my finger and blame Adam because he's a representative of all mankind. You and I would have done the same thing. I always say maybe I'd have done it a day before or a day after, but I would have done it. He's a perfect representative of man, and he did it. And so the first Adam exalted himself. The last Adam, the Bible says, emptied himself. Emptied himself. What a contradiction. The way up is down first. You hear all these paradoxes and contradictions, seeming contradictions. Whoever will save his life will lose it. Whoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospel is the same shall save it and so forth. The first Adam was in this basically the, the paradise of God with nothing to whine or complain about, nothing lacking, no reason to grumble and complain against God. And yet he chose... That, that's where he was tested, like in a paradise, and he failed. He still exalted himself. He had everything he could have possibly wanted. The last Adam was tested in all points like his brethren, the Bible says. He was tested in the wilderness where he went without food and water for 40 days and nights. And the Bible says the beasts were around him. Okay? And then the devil comes to him. His whole life, Jesus' whole life was one of self-denial. He was God. I love this scripture. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. It's almost hard to comprehend it fully. Did he ever stop being God? Step, stop being deity? Stop being the eternal uh, God? And he says, no, I'm Alpha and Omega. You know, was and is and is to come. I'm he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. He never stopped being God at any point, And yet he learned obedience. It says in Hebrews 5.8, through the things which he suffered. And three times in the garden, the night before he was crucified, he says three times, not my will, but thy will be done. And he embraced the cross. What is he doing? He's defeating that sin, of course. All the sin of the world is placed upon him, but you also see the self-denial. Not my will, but thy will be done. Adam exalted himself. The second Adam emptied himself, embraced the cross, and his whole life was utterly renouncing himself. And at, at the end, no man took his life. He gave it. It was his own choice. He had the power to lay it down, he told Pilate, and to take it up again. He got it where? From my Father. This commandment I've received of my Father. And so Jesus was a willing, we could say victim. Sometimes that word might kind of be misused, but 
But when the Bible says he was a propitiation for our sins, and that is the word the Bible uses, propitiation means an atoning victim or sacrifice. But he was a willing sacrifice. And that's what the Lord's after is our will. He was willingly went to the cross. He was willingly spat upon. He was willingly reviled. He was willingly uh, classed with or associated with criminals. He willingly hung on the cross and was mocked by a mob of people at any point. Don't you think he said at any time I couldn't call my father right now and he would send these legions of angels to deliver me? It was a willing thing to submit and to go to the cross. And he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was mocked on the cross by men. He says, oh, he came to save others himself. He can't save. Can't save himself. He endured all that. He was forsaken by those that were closest to him. He was forsaken at least for a time. His disciples, they all fled. I'll smite the shepherd and the sheep are going to be scattered. It was a fulfillment of prophecy. Forsaken by friends. He was ridiculed and mocked and scorned by his enemies. And he was under the curse of our sin and disobedience. And yet he obeyed all the way to death. It says in Philippians chapter 2. He was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Aren't you glad the cross? We keep bringing that, that picture back in because that's what we're talking about. And Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example. It says in 1 Peter. He suffered for us. Okay, thank you Lord for suffering for us. And His death did something our death could never do. He paid the price for the sins of the world. But He also left us an example. Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in His steps. When He was reviled, He reviled not again, right? But He didn't try to get back and strike back. He could have at any time. But He committed Himself to Him who judges righteously. And so I'm going to close with this thought, y'all. He who does not welcome the cross does not welcome God. That has to be because so many people, I remember Dave Hunt, Hunt, one of his letters, this could have been 25 years ago. He was talking about the cross of Jesus Christ. He says we're living in an age where not all, but many churches and preachers and so forth preach a crossless Christ. This all the benefits, all the, the blessings he wants to make you. Jesus, you know, trying to convince a, a sinner. Jesus, come to Jesus. He just wants to make you wealthy and healthy. And you'll be the, the starter on your football team. And maybe you'll win All-American honors, you know, as a college athlete. And he, he'll do all these things for you. He just wants you to, to come along like you're, like you're doing God a favor to come and follow him. And that's a crossless Christ. A lot of churches don't, they remove any picture of the cross, any thought of the cross, any preaching of the cross about the blood, about repentance, about sin. And it's just this positive thinking. It's no different than a psychologist or a, a life coach or something that doesn't even know Jesus. That's all it is. But without, he that doesn't embrace the cross does not embrace Christ. Or, or God. That's how we know Him. I'm crucified with Christ. It has to start there. We meet Him at the foot of the cross. 
This is where you died for me. This is where your blood was shed for me. Wash me in that same blood. You died my death. I should have died upon that cross. Oh God, I can never thank you enough for what you did for me. And that's where it just starts. That's just the beginning. Then he says, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Then we have a lifetime of not some heavy burden that I've got to bear my cross of denying self, going to the cross, going to the Lord, being washed in the blood, dying to ourselves, letting the Lord live through us more and more that, that Christ may become more and more in us and to us. Amen. So I want to close with one scripture. Y'all turn with me. Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter 1, let's, let's read 16 through 18. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. That includes us, by the way. We're created for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the head, okay? Not the co-pilot. He's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Now, I just wanted to close with that, that in all things, that means in prison, that means in shackles, that means when you're God's testing and 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 allowing things to be taken from your life, like Job's life. It means uh, through sicknesses. It means through, uh, we stand for God and we lost all of our friends. We stand for God and we lost our family that don't want to live for God. Uh, whatever it may be, we stand for God, we lose our job and all that went with it. That's probably very much a reality in this day and in the coming days ahead. To take the stand for the Lord and be canceled, so to speak. Uh, yet our God is going to take care of us. That in all things he might have the preeminence in all things. In every area of my life and in every circumstance of my life that I go through. He's the head of the church. I'm part of the body. I'm just glad to be part of the body. Could be a toenail. You know what I'm saying? I'm just part of the body. I'm in there. I'm part of the body. And he's the head. And he's always going to take care of us. Always. You'll be taken care of when the people that look like they're so wealthy and healthy and they don't know God and don't serve God and looks like they're getting away with it, you're going to be the one who's taken care of it. Taken care of by the Lord. Let him have the preeminence in all things. Amen. Y'all stand with me tonight. Let's worship the Lord. Let's take some time just to pray and to call out to the Lord at these altars.